Thanks for joining us on the Hope Podcast. Hope Community Church exists to love people where they are and help them grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ. By pursuing this relationship together, we can change the world. We have multiple locations, including an online service found at gethope.tv. If you're not from the greater Raleigh-Durham area in North Carolina or near our Agape campus in Haiti, we'd love to still have you be a part of what Hope is up to through our online services. If you do live in our physical area, go to our website at gethope.net to check out where our campuses are located and our service times. Please like and share this with your friends or family. We are so glad you stopped by. What's up? How are we? We good? Welcome to those of you joining us online at one of our campuses and all of you, big crowd again in the room right now. Hey, real quick, we're going to have, uh, I don't want to spoil it, we're going to have a pretty cool uh, weekend experience the first weekend of December. And it's always good in the life of a church to just kind of stop and look back and thank God for all that he has done in that year and then look ahead to what we hope that he will do in and through us in the coming year. So the first weekend of December is going to be a weekend experience like you have never experienced so far. Uh, but part of what we want to do is celebrate all that God has done just this calendar year. So um, if you are a part of hope and your life has been impacted, if God has moved in your life and it just so happens he used Hope Community Church to do that, would you send us your story to stories at gethope.net? That's stories at gethope.net. It can be a sentence. It can be a paragraph. It can be pages. uh, But we just don't want to miss celebrating and thanking God for the different ways that he has moved. And mark your calendars for that weekend. It is going to be awesome. Uh, But this week, We are in the fourth week of our series that we're calling House of Cards. And uh, this week, I'm going to be talking directly to husbands. So wives, a copy of this sermon will be posted online on Monday so you can rewatch it and take more notes and do what you need to do, create a highlight reel or something. Uh, But what we need to understand when we talk directly to husbands and wives is uh, 99% of what God says to us in his word, he says to all of us. It doesn't matter if you're a man, a woman, a husband, a wife. It doesn't matter if you're a student or a child, 99% of the Bible is truth for every single one of us. But there is that 1% of God's word, there's a few times where he kind of breaks away and says, okay, this is just for you husbands, or this is just for wives, or just for married couples, or just for employees, employers, um, just for children, and just for leaders of the church. And so uh, we're going to be in the passages that speak directly to husbands and wives the next two weeks. So if this is your first time here, you're just joining us, and you're like, why in the world did he pick those verses to preach from? Well, they're the only ones in the Bible. Uh, And so it's pretty important that we understand them. And also, I didn't have a choice. So next year, if we redo this series, I honestly do not know what I'll speak on. We'll figure it out. But uh, we are going to be in the marriage chapter. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Ephesians 5. So Ephesians 5 and 1 Peter 2, those are known as the marriage chapters. Uh, They are the most clear. They go into the most details about the callings on husbands and wives. Now, they are also the most avoided passages by preachers and by teachers in our day and age because it is so countercultural. So I have a choice. I could spend 20 minutes trying to um, smooth off the rough edges, trying to defend these passages, trying to make them easier to go down. But I'm not going to do that. Uh, it's the inspired word of God. And my job's just to teach it, just to proclaim it, not to subtract from it or add to it or avoid it. But I do know that in the next two weeks, some people are going to feel a certain level of shock, uh, maybe anger, and maybe even offense. And that's okay. 
Um, that, that's okay. You can be offended in church. Nowhere to, in the Bible does it say you can't be. And the Bible does that. Um, in fact, uh, there are portions of Scripture that will offend every single culture and every generation throughout all of human history. If I took this Bible and took it to some countries in the East and preached on free forgiveness and unconditional love, they would throw stuff at me. It just so happens that these are the passages that in America in the 20th century we find offensive. But I also know that some people in the room or listening online or at our campuses right now truly have experienced real hurt and real pain because of some of the ideas and subjects that we're going to talk about. This idea of marriage roles. We're actually going to use the S word next week. So submission, get ready. Um, but I would say that that pain was caused not because someone understood and applied these passages, but precisely because they misunderstood and misapplied these passages and used these passages in an abusive way that God never intended. So uh, more often than not, when I have conversations with people that hate the idea of marriage roles and I say, okay, let's sit down, let's have coffee, explain to me what you hate about these roles, and they do, I end up walking away and saying, I hate those roles as well. Those aren't in the Bible. So most people are angry at a false stereotype um, and not the real biblical teaching. So um, with that said, let's dive in. We're going to start with husbands. But um, if you are a single lady, this is going to be good for you as well. You are looking for a man that can live up to this type of calling. Uh, if you are a single guy, um, until you are ready to live up to this calling, you are not quite ready for marriage. So maybe take some notes. This is stuff that you can work on. And husbands, I'll tell you what my dad told me before he whooped me. I'm doing this because I love you, and it hurts me more than it hurts you. Um, so let's read in Ephesians 5. We're going to start in verse 22. We're going to start with the wife section just so you have more time to take it in. <laughs> and we're actually going to be in First Peter next week as well. But it says this, wives... Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even, Christ is, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now pause. That's in the Bible. <laughs> we got to do something with it. We're going to do a super deep dive. It's beautiful. It's not horrible. First Peter illuminates it in an amazing way. But if that word submit offends you, which is half the room right now, throw it out and you can still see what Paul is doing. So two weeks ago, we said, what's the purpose of marriage? It's to tell a story about Jesus. It's to be a living, breathing sermon or parable on the gospel, on Jesus's love for the church. And so what Paul's doing here is he's telling us this is the different roles that we play. So wives, your role is to play the role of the church. And if the wife's role is to play the role of the church, what's the husband's role? It's to play the role of Jesus. He goes on, he says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. And here's our famous verse we've, we've gone back to. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, 
and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So wives play the role of the church. Husbands play the role of Jesus. Now, they aren't Jesus. They're nowhere near Jesus. They're never to take the place of the real Jesus to their wives, but they are instructed to imitate him to their best ability and through that to point their wives to the real and only Savior, Jesus Christ. And within that purpose of imitating Jesus, I see two callings that God has given husbands. Just two. It's going to be simple, fellas. Just two callings I see in this passage. First, God calls husbands to love. He says that. Husbands, love your wives. And your lady's like, oh, that's so sweet. It means roses and cards and poetry. But we do have to do a little bit of work here because our culture defines love very differently than the way that the Bible defines love. See, when we first read this, we think romance. We think butterflies in our stomach. We think this overwhelming force of attraction, this feeling of love. And that's not a bad feeling, but, but, but our culture thinks of love as just that. It's just a feeling. But that's not all that love is in the Bible. It does have that, but love, according to the Bible, is more than a feeling that you can fall into or that you can fall out of. Because the truth is, is that the feelings of romantic love they're going to come and go throughout the course of a marriage. And the truth is, we can't control our own feelings. Uh, fellas, back me up. There have been some seasons in marriage or some days when my wife and I have been fighting where I have felt more love for my lunch burrito than I have for my wife. Like, that's just how it goes some days. Chipotle is awesome that way. But so Paul's not commanding husbands to have this overwhelming feeling that they have to sustain throughout the course of their marriage. Instead, Paul defines what this love is. He says, husbands, love your wives as. Your love for your wife should be like this, like Christ loved the church. And that love, when it's most on display, it was when Christ gave himself up for her. And so we are to love our wives with the same type of love that Jesus loved the church. And when it comes to the type of love that Jesus loved the church, he didn't just sit up into heaven and feel feelings of love for the church, although he did. Uh, he didn't just send us love letters every once in a while. No, he loved the church by doing something for her. And that's the biblical definition of love. In fact, if you're taking notes, write this down. Biblical, Christ-like love, it's an act of the will that leads to action for the good of the other person. It's an act of the will that leads to action for the good of the other person. That's what biblical love is. It's a decision that leads to some action. And that's good news because that means we can love someone whether we feel like it or not. And that's awesome because Jesus told us not just to love our wives, but he also told us to love who? Our enemies and those that persecute us. You see, Jesus' love for the church, he didn't just feel it. It caused him to leave heaven and to move into our brokenness and to take on the form of a servant and ultimately to give up his very life, to give his everything for our good. And that's the type of love that Paul has in view here. That's the first responsibility of a husband. It's not just love, it's sacrificial love. It's sacrificial love. It's to wake up every single morning with thoughts like, what can I do for her? How can I serve her? How can I use my time and my energy and my money and my presence to make sure that she is cared for and protected and provided for and safe and secure? So to be a godly husband is to wake up and make a decision that you will give up anything 
that you'll give up everything if necessary for her good. And then you do it. And this is extremely countercultural. <laughs> but men, I think we get this. Like something about that resonates with us. There's not a husband in here right now that wouldn't stand up and would say, I would take a bullet for my, life, my wife. All of us would say that. All of us would say, baby, I would jump in front, of a, in front of a moving car. I would go into a burning building. I would stand in the line of fire to protect my bride. There's, that's just a part of who we are as men and husbands. Like husbands, how many of you have ever laid in bed at night and planned how you would handle if intruders entered your house? Anybody raise their hand? Yeah, most husbands have done that. Some of you know where the exits are right now in this room. There's just something that, that resonates inside of us about sacrificial love. Like that's heroic. That's courageous. We like that idea. But Paul would say it's in the nitty gritty daily details of married life that this type of love gets tested and it gets proven. Because some of us would say we would take a bullet for our bride, but we won't take a rain check on a round of golf. You would say that you would give up your life, but you won't set down the video game or you won't turn off NFL red zone to serve her, see? See, Paul's saying that when you get married, this switch occurs where you've gone from 20 or 30 or 40 years, if you got married later in life, of prioritizing yourself, of serving yourself, of making plans for yourself, of concentrating on your wants and your needs and your desires. But the moment you say, I do, you are no longer the priority of your life. She is. So you serve her, you prioritize her, you make plans for her, you concentrate on her wants and her desires and her needs. That means that when you get married, she informs the job that you take. She informs the hours that you work. She informs the way that you handle your finances. She informs what city you live in and what house you buy when you get there. The number one priority of your life changes the moment that you say, I do. And your priority from that moment on is her physical needs. You got to make sure she's provided for physically. It's also her emotional needs. It's her relational needs. But Paul puts a spotlight on another one of her needs that we often don't think about, and it's her spiritual needs. Do you see what he said? He said, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Why? That he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. So it's not just her physical and emotional and relational needs that become our priority, but one of the main goals of our sacrificial love is to help her become the woman that God created her to be. It's helping herself uh, see herself as God sees her. It's helping her recognize her own sin and overcoming it. It's helping her understand God's word and his truths and his principles and helping her apply them to her life. A wise man which told me, your wife should look more like Jesus because she married you. Uh, Francis Chan, a, a famous author, famous speaker, many of you have heard of him. Um, he says that he knows that one day his wife will stand before the judgment throne of Jesus and give an account for all the good stuff and all the bad stuff that she did. And, and he wants to live his life preparing her for that moment. See, so, so the number one calling of my life as a Christian husband is to sacrifice anything and everything to see that she is provided for physically and emotionally and relationally and spiritually. And men, this is a high calling. 
Like when you get married, it's, it's as if God gives you a precious gift. He gives you one of his most prized possessions, his very daughter that he created in his image. And he gives you the responsibility of doing everything in your power to ensure that she flourishes through all the seasons of her life. And that's going to take some sacrifice. That's going to take a lot of sacrifice. You see, marriage for husbands is a call to die to yourself. We say that around here at Hope a lot. Marriage isn't meant to make you happy. It's meant to kill you. And we laugh at that, but it's true. It's meant to bring you to an end to yourself. In order to do this successfully, you're going to have to die to yourself. And some days this is really hard. Some days you've been sacrificing and sacrificing and sacrificing and she's not responding. Some days in marriage, you just want to give up. We all do. So Paul understands this and he gives us some words of wisdom that help us out on the, on the hard days. And this is a game changer. This was a game changer for my marriage. He says this in verse 28. In the same way, husbands should love their wives, not as Christ loved the church, but he uses a different metaphor, as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but he nourishes it and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. And what Paul's saying here is, here's what happens when you get married. Uh, before you say, I do, you are an individual with thoughts and dreams and all that sort of stuff, living your own sort of life. And she is an individual with thoughts and dreams, living her own life. And it's you and it's her. But when you say, I do, you and her go away. And now it's just we. There's no such thing as you and me, or me and her, or you and she. It's just a we. That's it. You are one flesh. You are one body. And what Paul's saying is on those hard days when it's hard to sacrifice and sacrifice, you have to remember that anything you do for her, you're actually doing for both of you. Anytime you love her, you're loving yourself, that, that one unit. Anytime you sacrifice for her, you're actually sacrificing for both of you. And when you harm her, you're actually harming both of you. And it took me years to understand this, but this has been a game changer because I'll, I'll talk with husbands and I'll ask them, hey, how's your, how's your marriage going? They'll say, man, it's not good. You know, she's, she's not in a good place right now. She really has this, this big anger problem. She's having these huge communication problems. But those sentences don't make sense in light of Ephesians chapter five, what you're really saying is we are not in a good place. We have an anger problem. We have communication issues that we need to solve because we are one body, we are one unit. And once you realize this, you realize that you can never, husbands, you can never get to a place in marriage where it's you versus her. Because the parts of my body are never in competition with each other. Like when you get into an argument, and it gets heated and you feel uh, strongly and she feels strongly and it gets to the level where you are trying to defeat her, you don't wanna get to that point. That's like my left hand trying to defeat my right hand. That's dumb. The left hand might win, but the whole body suffers. You see that? The members of my body don't try to defeat one another. They don't try to compete. They don't look out for just themselves. They protect. They serve, they honor, they prefer each other. Like you guys ever been walking down the steps and missed a step and had that little mini heart attack, you know? Yes, you have. What does your body do? The hands aren't like, well, I'm getting out of here. Okay, he can fall if he wants. No, your legs and your hands, they, they, go to they go to protect your head and all the weak places of your body because they don't just look out for themselves. They're willing to sacrifice themselves for the greater good of the whole. 
I actually, this is a dumb metaphor. Forget I said this after this, but I, I remember this every time I watch soccer. You ever watch soccer and there's a free kick, not a penalty kick, but a free kick where the defenders line up in front of the goal and the offense takes a kick. Where are the defenders' hands? They're not back here. They're right here because the hands say, okay, I can hurt a little so that we don't have to hurt a lot. See, because they're one body. So she and I are a one flesh unit. What I do for her, I'm doing for us. So practically, and you guys aren't going to want to hear this, but practically, this is what this means. In 99% of the decisions in marriage and even the disagreements, I as a husband prefer my wife. I prefer her. I sacrifice and she gets what she needs and she even gets what she wants and desires. So what do we eat for dinner? What she wants. She's on a weird diet. No meat, no flavor, no joy. I'm on a weird diet too. It's Friday night, I wanna go watch a movie with the guys. She wants to hang out with the girls. I'm watching the kids at home. Your car breaks down, you need a new car, you go to the lot, she wants that van. And you want, men? what do you want? You want the truck, you want the truck. And she's like, we got three kids. We're gonna put that third kid. You're like, that's what the bed of a truck is for. <laughs> but at the end of the day, you get the van. She wants the kids in private school. You want them in public, you figure out a way to make it happen so that they can go to private school. You wanna to go to the beach. She wants to go to the mountains. Pack your hiking gear, you're going to the mountains. And 99% of the decisions, what she wants and what she desires, she gets because that's my role. I'm called to sacrificially love her. Don't forget this, okay? Her role is that of the church and Jesus pursued the church and wooed the church and, and invited the church into relationship and protected the church and redeemed the church. That's her part to play. Our part to play is the guy that hung on a cross and gave his very life. That's our part to play as husbands. But notice, I said 99% of the decisions and the disagreements, you prefer her. Because there is 1% where I am called to step in and disagree and actually overrule. There is such a thing biblically as a husband trump card. Um, there is an authority that God has given to husbands that they actually need to utilize occasionally. And this is rare. It goes back to the wife section. We will go through this next week, I promise. But it says, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And we'll talk about this next week. But this authority that the husband has, please know, it's not because he's smarter. Mm -mm. It's not because he's better equipped to make decisions. Usually the opposite is true. I'm looking at some married couples right now and the opposite definitely is true. Um, the authority that God has given husbands is just to prevent chaos. It's just to prevent chaos and make sure there's some semblance of order. And this takes us to the second responsibility, okay? It's protective leadership. And that word protect is so important because people have taken this word leadership or this word head and they have misused it and they have abused it. God has given you authority not to command, not to make your wife do anything, but in order to protect. So there is a time when you need to express your leadership where you need to step in and disagree with her and make a decision that she might not like, but this only happens when she wants something or desires something or wants to go in a certain direction that you're pretty sure or you just have this gut instinct or you can see ahead that will eventually lead to harm for her and for the family. We all have blind spots, okay? 
But that's the only time that I'm called in, I'm called to, to, to utilize that authority. Now, this is rare. I've only used this. I was talking to my wife yesterday. I was like, can you remind me of the times I've actually used the husband trump card? And there have only been a few. One time we bought a van because I preferred her and we couldn't afford it, so we had to take it back. Um, but the most recent time, it was in March, actually this year. And we had... Um, we sold our house because the market was great. And uh, surprise, there's no houses to buy. So uh, we were desperately searching for a house in this certain school district. Anyway, um, Jenny's in real estate, my wife, and she fell in love with this fixer-upper. It was like the worst house in the nicest neighborhood. That's what you're supposed to get. And so she just fell in love with it and started making plans. We can do this and add this and take away that. And so I went and browsed it and was like, I don't like this house at all. Um, it's kind of expensive, even for a fixer-upper. But I was like, okay, let's prefer you. And so uh, we put some money down for due diligence, a lot of money down for due diligence. And then I lay in bed that night, and I'm tossing and turning, and I'm thinking, I don't think that was a good decision. Um, you know, it's in our price range, but with all, these, all this stuff that she wants to do, um, it's going to take us out of the price range. And I don't know if you've ever fixed up a home. It's not the most peaceful home life for months and months on end. And so we have a new foster child. Jenny's uh, taking a new job in real estate. I'm in ministry. Our kids are hitting the teenage years. This is just going to be a hassle. And so I, I woke up with just this unrest. So I called my brother-in-law, who's in construction, one of my best friends, a godly wise man, talked through it with him. He could kind of see both sides, but he he agreed with me. And so after a lot of prayer, I remember I was in my office. I was actually almost shaking like, ah, oh, I got to do this again. So I called up my wife and I was like, Jenny, I love you. And I know your heart's set on this, but I don't think it's the best for you, for our finances or for our family. And so we're just, we're not going to be able to do this. And it was a long conversation, a very long conversation. But at the end, she was like, okay. And she hung up and didn't talk to me for a few days. <laughs> But um, we lost that money. We ate it. Um, but I remember she called me at my office three or four days later, and she said, thank you so much. Um, I don't know why my heart was set on that. That was the dumbest idea ever. Thank you for stepping in and handling that. I appreciate that so much. So it's very, very rare. But listen, wives, uh, people point to this as this is why you guys love being husbands. You get to make this. This is not fun. I hate doing this. It means conflict. It means bearing the weight of making the right decision for a whole family. It means that I could end up being wrong, but it's my duty to step in and do this when I need to. And again, it's only happened a handful of times. And during those times, I've thought long and hard about it. I've gotten outside wisdom. And in the end, every single time, Jenny has been thankful that I stepped in to make that decision. But those are the two unique callings on a husband. It's sacrificial love and it's protective leadership. That's our calling as husbands. And notice, notice, there are no conditions here. There are actually conditions for the wives. We'll talk about that next week. But we are called to live out these roles, no matter if our wife is super thankful, if she responds, if she fights against it. These are absolutely unconditional commands. These are my responsibilities, regardless of my wife's um, attitude or actions. But this is our part to play in telling a story, the story about the saving and transforming love of Jesus. Your job in the way that you love and the way that you sacrifice and the way that you protect is to take a giant spotlight and point it on the love of Jesus. It's to love and serve and sacrifice so that people can see that and say, that's what the love of Jesus is like. And let me just say, men, the stakes are high. 
Do you know what we base our opinion of God, who we base our opinion of God off of at a very early age? Do you know who teaches us our God 101 course? It's our fathers or our youngest male influence. The way that we see our fathers acting and behaving and thinking and, 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 and loving gets superimposed onto our, idea, onto our idea of what God is like. So the way that you love your wife is the way that your children um, will think of the love of God. That's a responsibility. By the way that you love your wife, you can prime your kid's desire to chase after God in the years to come, or you're gonna put a hurdle, you're gonna put a burden on them where they have to actually go to the word and they're gonna have to actually wipe the face of their father off of God to get a true picture. See, I have two daughters and a beautiful little one underneath my care as a foster father. And um, I am not the best dad. I'm working on it. But I really want them to come to a point where they make my religion, my faith, their own. And the prayer and the hope of my life is that when my three little girls turn into women and they're confronted with the choice to either chase after God or not, to pursue after Jesus and his plan for him or not, that they will think in their mind, if God's love for me is anything like the way daddy loved mommy, I want that. That's what I want. So men, this is the calling of your life if you are married. This is the world-changing cause that God has called you to. This is the battle that he has empowered you to fight. This is the number one priority of your life. You're gonna retire from your job one day. The money in your bank account's gonna stay when you die. It's not your pleasure. You got heaven for that. The number one priority of your life is faithfully loving and serving your wife. And to do it well, it's gonna take everything that you've got, but it's so worth it. And I do want you to know that we're here for you, that we have an amazing marriage ministry here at Hope, and we have a premarital class called Reengage. Probably should have pointed that out earlier in the sermon. That's why I'm wearing the T-shirt. Um, but I actually got to close this semester out with 200 people, over 100 couples, some in for a tune-up, some their marriages were almost crumbling. And it's amazing to see what God did, but I was able to close that out just this week. That's coming up next semester. We have marriage counselors that we can refer you to. Uh, we have marriage mentors inside the church that would love to spend time with you and walk beside you and partner with you to live out this calling. But men, you have to make a choice. You gotta rise to the occasion. You gotta make a decision and you gotta stick with it. And it's never too late to get in the game and it's worth it. So would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it cuts to the heart. I pray for hearts to be open to receive it. Father, I pray that you would do a work in our hearts um, as husbands. It's so easy to forget and it's so easy to get pulled off track. And I believe that Satan wants nothing more than to disrupt the home, than to have complacent husbands, to have fatherless families. So Father, would you just move in this room across all of our campuses online, would you move in the hearts of men to live up to the calling that we have received for the sake of our wives and for our children and for our grandchildren and for the watching world that's around us. And would you give us the strength for your glory and your namesake. 
Thank you for listening to the Hope Podcast. We appreciate you joining us as we tackle issues facing our modern world from a biblical perspective. To make sure you don't miss a message, please take a moment and hit the subscribe button. Also, if you're new to Hope and want to check out what we're about and how to be a part of our community, go to our next steps at gethope.net slash next. Let us know your story because we'd love to connect with you.